0: Christmas as a celebration was a thing long before there was a Christ to tag onto it. Because a lot of these traditions are more in line with winter solstice than they are with quote unquote Christmas. A lot of these things really predate anything called Christmas. You're trying so hard to hold it together.
1: (laughs) It's just funny.
0: It's hilarious. I mean, (laughs) I'm just just thinking about what it must be like. You know, you're on your morning commute, and for a few weeks before Christmas, you not only have to drive by this big ass goat, goat, but you're actually watching your neighbors trying to set it on fire. The thing that really impressed upon me researching all of this is just how little attention the Christ child actually gets at this time of year around the world it also impresses on me how people use specific times of year particularly halloween and christmas as excuses to either celebrate or misbehave in various ways
1: welcome to unbound
0: a podcast for new atheists
1: and lifetime atheists ex-evangelicals truth seekers and free thinkers
0: there is life after faith
1: and life here is good it's time for a new perspective
0: and a better conversation. I'm Spider.
1: And I'm Shell. And it's it's time time. to get Unbound. You know what's funny? Mm
0: -hmm. Turns out Jesus really isn't the reason for the season. In fact, Jesus is kind of a latecomer to the (laughs) season. In fact, loads of cultures don't give a rat's ass about Jesus when it comes to their Christmas celebrations, oddly enough. In most parts of the world, Christmas is either wildly pagan or blissfully secular with odd, eerie, and sometimes downright scary and fucked up traditions. Mm. I'm Spider. And I'm Shell. And this week, we're going to have a look at some of those traditions and have a few moments of laughter, shock, cringe, and general what-the-fuck as we take a look at how people actually celebrate Christmas or the Christmas season around the world. But before we get into any of that... Josh Duggar, the dog who had his day, Hmm. and proof positive that Christian bigotry comes in a variety of denominations. In this edition of Christians Behaving Badly, I'm calling the pedo, the pastor, and the transphobic pinheads. Yes. Shell, it's all yours.
1: (laughs) Okay, well, first up, in It Couldn't Happen to a Greater Asshole News... Former reality TV star Josh Duggar was convicted Thursday, December 9th, of downloading and possessing child sex abuse images on his work computer. Yes. Yes, so happy
0: about that. Oh, yeah. Oh, my God. This is is a good day. It's a good day. Merry fucking Christmas, asshole.
1: Yeah, right. A federal jury in Fayetteville, Arkansas, found the 33-year-old Duggar guilty on one count each of receiving and possessing child pornography. He faces up to 20 years in prison and fines of up to $250,000 for each count when he's sentenced.
0: So just 20 years. Yeah. He's getting off light. Well. When, when you consider, okay, for this one thing, okay. But when you consider the type of person that he yeah. is and the other things that he's done with his life thus far, locking him away for 20 years seems light. Yeah. At least it does to me.
1: Yeah, but, I mean, the minimum is five, so he's at least going away for five years. Yeah. So... that
0: You see, that's the problem, because at that point, he could get out. Yeah. Here's hoping. Yeah. Here's hoping that they teach this asshole a lesson.
1: He needs one. His parents certainly didn't give him any.
0: Nope. That's (sighs) very true.
1: He pleaded not guilty in April to charges of receiving and possessing child pornography. Federal prosecutors contended that Duggar downloaded a Linux partition on the laptop to circumvent computer software that monitors internet use. His activity was found in connection with an undercover investigation involving a file sharing program, the U.S. Attorney's Office said. Investigators geolocated the computer to Duggar's car lot and then matched the timing of the image downloads to times that Duggar was at the lot. Oh. Yeah. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. This includes times when Duggar was the only paid employee on the lot, the prosecutor's office said. Evidence presented to the court included logs of Duggar's internet use, which included downloading the images, sending personal messages, and saving pictures. Also, a family friend testified that Duggar had confessed to her about his previous molestation activity. Although they tried to keep this person and the evidence from being included in the trial, they were citing pastoral privilege. Oh, for fuck's sake. Yeah. The point was made that women could not hold pastoral positions at their church. The judge allowed the testimony.
0: Amazing how that actually worked against him. Yes. How marvelously and deliciously ironic. Yes. Oh, yeah.
1: He will be in custody until his sentencing hearing in four months. Good. So he is in. Yeah. Right now.
0: He's in for quite a while.
1: He's in for at least five years.
0: And, it, here's, and hoping, here's hoping. Here's hoping. It's here's more. hoping that the powers that be understand what they'd be putting back out on the streets and just. Let him stay behind bars.
1: Yeah. Let him stay behind bars till all his kids are 18. At least. At least. I and, mean, and well, at she least. just had a baby. So if he's in for 20 years, mm-hmm. this kid would at least be 18. Yeah. So there's that. Here's hoping. Yeah,
0: there is that.
1: Mm. And this next story here is half positive and half negative.
0: It's all negative. <sighs> well, I mean, no. just think about it. I mean, I understand it starts out well. It sounds it's, good at the beginning, but folks, just just wait for it. Folks, just get Just wait for yeah. it.
1: Pastor Craig Duke of the Newburg United Methodist Church um, wanted to show his daughter, who had recently come out as pansexual, and other members of the LGBTQ community, that he wanted to be a true ally to them and was working to make that happen. So when he got an invitation from the local Pride Committee, he thought it would be a good idea to walk in someone else's shoes, namely a drag queen's shoes.
0: I like this guy.
1: I do too. What I happens feel so, to him sucks. Yeah. The HBO reality show We're Here follows three drag queens as they travel to small towns around America, giving drag queen makeovers to locals. Pastor Duke accepted and the show was broadcast just a few days ago. He makes it clear that he felt it was an entirely positive experience, saying it was an incredibly wonderful, refreshing, deepening, powerful spiritual experience. I was surrounded and immersed in a culture that I've never been immersed in, and one of the things in ministry, if you want to involve people different than yourself in your ministry, you have to go where people different than you are. The invitation to be part of the show allowed me that. He knew there were LGBTQ people in his congregation, and he wanted to be empathetic, not just sympathetic to their lives and struggles.
0: You see, now this is a pastor. This
1: is a good pastor. This is
0: the definition of a pastor. I know. Forget what I think about this religion. Right. There are good eggs, just like we talked about in episode 50.
1: Right. This is one of
0: them. This is what a pastor is. This is what a pastor should do.
1: Yeah. It all kind of ties into the argument right now that's going on in the United Methodist Church about whether they want to fully accept LGBTQ people. And, you know, a lot of people are like this guy and they want to just include everybody. And some people are like, these people. Of course, the only people who had a problem with it were the people in charge of the Newburgh United Methodist Church. They relieved him of pastoral duties, saying he should be out no later than February 28th and not to come back. Um, Yeah.
0: And my question is, who made this decision? Was it the board? Probably. Was it, well... Were any members of the congregation involved? Because these guess... are usually elected positions. So yeah. if there are enough people in the congregation that don't like this, then I can't imagine how they could make it stick. Because he has members of his congregation that are LGBTQ.
1: Right. But there are also, you know, there might be members outside of this church who objected just on principle. And... If they're
0: outside the church, they don't matter.
1: Right. The people who fired him said that they had gotten calls, both for and against. Yeah. And I'm just sort of like, why wasn't there a vote? Well, that's there what I'm should saying. have been.
0: That's what I'm saying, because most of these churches work the same way. And the board is elected, and there's usually some kind of structure within this type of leadership style. Right. Where the congregation or members of the congregation would be able to step in. Yeah. So I'd be curious to see whether or not This actually represents the majority opinion in this church, because I get the impression that it probably doesn't. It probably doesn't. So I'd really like to know more about this if there becomes more to the story over the next couple of months.
1: Yeah. They tried to say that he wasn't fired. He was just relieved of pastoral duties. But I'm like, dude, you told him not to come back. Doesn't that mean he was fired?
0: Well, in any situation where him trying to collect unemployment is concerned. Yeah then it would be. But we already know that this is what they do. When they want to pastor out, they don't fire him. They ask for his resignation because if he resigns, they don't have to give him
1: unemployment. Right. But he didn't resign. He didn't resign and they didn't fire him.
0: They just, quote unquote, relieved Relieved him him of of pastoral pastoral duty. So does that mean that he still gets his salary? They relieved him of duty. They asked him to leave. But they didn't fire him. Right. It looks like a Milton situation. He's just going to keep getting a paycheck.
1: Yes. He'll get like a, I think it was a greatly reduced paycheck until the 28th of February.
0: Right. At which time he would be
1: fired. Fired. Right? Permanently. Relieved of his pastoral duties.
0: I mean, (laughs) just a pig in a prom dress, it's still a pig. Yeah. They fired him. Pure and simple.
1: The um, article on Friendly Atheist said there's nothing about it on the church website. It's like they hope no one notices.
0: Right. And that's what made me think that the congregation might have more say about this than they are comfortable with them having. Otherwise, why wouldn't there be information about this at this point?
1: Right. Right now, the pastor and his wife have a GoFundMe. It's already gotten like $46,000 just in the few days that it's been active. Good. But really, it's nice to know that God's love is conditional and based on the requirement that you hate all the same people as he does.
0: Always has been. Yeah. And with that, just want to let you know that our Patreon is active at patreon.com slash Unbound Podcast Network. If you have just a little bit of money that you can throw our way during this most wonderful time of the year, we would be more than happy to do really good things with it in the upcoming year. We are approaching 100 episodes on this show. This yeah. is really, really exciting. It is cool. And we could use your help to keep things going for another year and to just start making things better over time. And yes, it's just a couple of weeks before Christmas. I know there's plenty of people out there who are just flat busted broke at this point. And if that's you, that's fine. As always, I'm just going to put out an appeal for you to give us those likes, shares, five-star ratings. Make sure that uh, you tell someone new about us this week and talk about us whenever you can. Yeah. Because that's how people learn about podcasts and that's how podcasts grow. So anything that you can do to help us out in that regard is equally appreciated. But if you have the means to help us out financially, we could really use that. And again, it's patreon.com slash Unbound Podcast Network to go and make your pledge. And we thank you in advance for at least considering it. And we want to say thanks to everybody who comes out week after week, who has been supporting us from the beginning. And just the momentum things have been showing over the last couple months is really, really, really encouraging. It looks like people like the movie episodes. Yeah. They're doing really, really well. Dogma did really well and is continuing to do well. And we've got more. We've got more lined up. We haven't discussed what the next movie is going to be yet. I'm trying to decide whether I want something light or something heavy. I'm leaning in either the direction of The Apostle, which is really, really heavy, Mm -hmm. or possibly something along the lines of Saved which is kind of heavy, but with a funny edge to it. So, you know, hey, you know, let's ask the listeners. If you have a preference for what you want to hear us review next for Unbound at the Movies, just drop us a line at unbound.podcast.network at gmail.com and we'll let you pick the movie. Yeah. Next week, we're doing our actual factual Christmas show (laughs) where we actually get around to talking about Jesus but not in any way that any church would really rather we did. Yeah. Again, working title right now, but I kind of like it. We Three Kings of Orient aren't everything wrong with the nativity story. Mm -hmm. And that's going to be happening next week. Our New Year's episode, we're doing our New Year's Resolutions Part 2 with just a bunch more advice for how to make the coming year 2022 a really good, positive, and personally empowering Unbound experience. (laughs) So that is how we are rounding things out for 2021. So with that, let's just dive right into our main topic. So weird and wild Christmas traditions it is. And yeah, there are some what-the-fuck moments ahead, folks. Is it just me, or are there more dark, scary traditions tied to Christmas than there are to Halloween? Really? In a lot of places, Christmas is just like the Halloween after Halloween. (laughs) And since we're talking about Halloween and things associated with Halloween, how about a Christmas demon? Let's talk about Krampus. This is one that pretty much everyone knows or at least has heard of, whether or not they know the real story or not real story, whether or not they know the story as it's been told about him for however long this mm. has been going on. You're not going to learn it in a horror movie. I'll get to that in a sec. But <laughs> Krampus originated in Central Europe. His name comes from the German word Krampen, which literally just means claw. He is described as a half goat goat. Half demonic monster. And his entire purpose and reason for being is to punish naughty children at Christmas time. So he is the companion of St. Nicholas. And in a lot of traditions, St. Nicholas or Santa Claus has a specific companion or entourage of companions. Right. So in this tradition, this is who comes along with Santa Claus. Mm-hmm. It's this goat demon. who exists for basically doling out punishments of varying degrees. Right Now, the legend is believed to have originated in Germany, but Krampus has also been identified as the son of hell, who is the Norse god of the underworld. Hmm. Krampus became associated with Christmas at the same time that Christianity was beginning to gain a foothold in Western Europe. So, At that point, the Catholic Church was a little bit dismayed at how this Krampus thing was starting to besmirch the name of Christmas. They tried to have the whole thing banned, and they were not successful (laughs) because here we are in 2021 and still talking about them. Tradition tells of Krampus and St. Nicholas arriving on December 5th. You see, this was what I was talking about. We did our episode on dogma last yeah. week and that episode dropped on knocked Yeah. And that was December fifth. And I'm I was thinking to myself, if I didn't have my head quite so far up my ass and have everything else going on in my life that I had, then we would have done this episode last week as a little homage. But, you know, as I've said many, many times, just in the last week alone, better late than never. Yeah you know, it's getting done. Yeah. Uh, there's There are a lot of better late than never is going on in my life right now. I'm just, <laughs> just going to leave that right there. So tradition tells of Krampus and St. Nicholas arriving on December 5th, not on Christmas. That word translates to Krampus night, and that's when Krampus and St. Nick go around and either reward good children with presents or punish naughty children by, according to most traditions, beating them with sticks or switches. Some of the more extreme versions of the myth actually have Krampus eating the children or literally carrying them to hell in a basket. So, and you actually see, that's the the image that you see the most.
1: Like on the Krampus cards, yes. Yes,
0: on cards that feature him. He usually has a basket on his back with a kid in it. Yeah. So, yeah. Then on December 6th, also known as St. Nicholas Day, Children either awaken to a bunch of fun gifts or a bunch of welts.
1: Yeah. Doesn't
0: that just sound warm and fuzzy? Oh. I mean, it takes the whole naughty or nice thing to a real extreme. But you know yeah. what? The, the simple fact that the words are in that song tell me that there are all kinds of echoes of all this craziness that go into even the most innocent of uh, Christmas carols and children's songs for the holidays. Yeah. There are also a number of festivities involving Krampus. You've got the Krampus Lauf or Krampus Run, which usually heavily involves alcohol. Um, people dress up as Krampus and parade usually loudly and obnoxiously through the streets, scaring and sometimes chasing spectators and taking things a bit far at times. Yeah, things can get dicey at Krampuslauf, kids. They can get <laughs> really dicey and you can actually look up some of this. There are videos every year. People yes. take video of this from various places around the world. Oh, yeah. And in some places, it's just a simple parade. In other places, it's just an out-and-out free-for-all. Yeah. A debaucherous free-for-all. Mm-hmm. And I'm not sure which I would rather be in the middle of, to be perfectly <laughs> honest. Debauchery in the name of Krampus actually sounds fun if you if you, yeah. you want to get just a little bit further into the spider's head. Um, and... Actually, there's been an upsurge of interest in Krampus-related activities since the late 20th century, particularly in Austria and Germany. He is part of their overall cultural heritage. So things like Krampus runs are encouraged and do, in fact, range in tone from the out-and-out debauchery to just a fun night out with a more family-based theme. So they run the gambit depending on where they are. There have also been a few recent horror movies. Just mentioned this a minute ago, and I'm just literally sitting here rolling my eyes just thinking about this. Oh, yeah! But there have been a few recent horror movies revolving around Krampus. None of them good. I've seen a couple of them. I've been looking for one that might actually be mildly entertaining or have anything to do with the actual legend. Don't think that you're going to uh, get anything out of horror movie about the actual legend of Krampus. It's all schlock horror with basically nothing to do with the real, quote unquote, real Krampus. Outside the fact that these movies typically take place either on or near Christmas, and that's it. Which, as we just mentioned, is a little bit off in and of itself. But Krampus in the movies that I've seen really could have been any baddie yeah, That role could have been written around anything, you know, choose your own, choose your demon or create your own yeah. and it would work. So, yeah, I mean, if, if you like schlock horror and you're just looking for something fun to do on Christmas night, then by all means, pull up one of these idiotic movies. Mm. But uh, I think I'm just going to watch Better Watch Out again Yeah. <laughs> because that one, that's, that's, if you got to watch a horror movie on Christmas, I'm just going to put in my vote for that one in case you've never seen it. Back to the subject at hand. God, I go off topic so much. (laughs) And just a a last little note on Krampus before we move on. Some think that his expanding popularity is a reaction to the commercialization of Christmas. But I personally think the internet has a lot to do with it. Because I didn't hear much about Krampus when I was a kid. Oh, no. And the commercialization of Christmas happened long before any of this. So I had never heard of Krampus before the internet. Yes. So um, I think that that has more to do with it than any kind of cultural zeitgeist. It's yeah. just it's just a thing that people now know because they have access to the information and they didn't before. So that's why so many people who aren't part of these cultures know who he is. Um, but he isn't the only one out there waiting until the most wonderful time of the year to frighten children. Oh, No. And I st- I have no idea. I went to school 45 minutes from Amish country, <laughs> and I never heard of this. Why am I only hearing about this now? Little thing called the Bell's Nickel. Uh, the Bell's Nickel is described as being loud and cantankerous, dressed in furs and carrying a bundle of birch switches. So the pictures that I've seen of him, he has kind of a bearish quality, yeah. kind of half human, half bear kind of thing going on. Mm. Um, he visits children in the weeks leading up to Christmas, so he doesn't try and do it all in one night. Yeah. You know, he's he's he's, uh, he's got some time management skills going on there. <laughs> um, so he visits children in the weeks leading up to Christmas and asks them whether they've been naughty or nice all year, which sounds pretty familiar. Hmm. That's about as menacing as this thing gets because it comes basically out of Pennsylvania Dutch tradition. He's a creature of folklore from the palatinate region of southwestern Germany. I know that I'm butchering that one too, and that's okay. Brought to America by German immigrants who became known as the Pennsylvania Dutch. And I'm reading that and thinking, tis an Amish thing, get it? That what's not. Mm. And I really don't. It's no. it's very weird. The whole concept of the Bell's Nickel is kind of odd. Yeah. Um, the figure has persisted in Pennsylvania Dutch regions of the U.S., and has spread a bit into the wider culture, particularly with organizations celebrating the rural lifestyle at Christmas time. So he's a rural man bear.
1: Okay, well, you know, that's where you want to be if you're a bear.
0: I guess, you know, does the bell's nickel chip in the woods? That's what I want to know. You're just rolling your eyes, no. not saying a word in response to that one. <laughs> um, another interesting tradition is Necht Ruprecht. Necht Ruprecht is St. Nicholas's most familiar attendant in Germany. Here we go, another sidekick. <laughs> another sidekick for yes. Santa, basically. And it's so weird just how these things, they just line up. And they use each other for material, basically. They all spring from the same basic origin, Yeah. where they exist basically to help St. Nick. According to some stories, Ruprecht began as a farmhand. In others, he's a wild foundling whom St. Nicholas raises from childhood. Ruprecht wears a black or brown robe with a painted hood. Sometimes he walks with a limp because of a childhood injury, and he can be seen carrying a long staff and a bag of ashes. And on occasion, he also wears little bells on his clothes. Sometimes he rides on a white horse and sometimes he is accompanied by fairies or men with blackened faces dressed as old women. There's a lot of the traditions that we were talking about and we'll talk about tonight that seem kind of wrapped up in this one. Yeah. It's really interesting. But according to tradition, Necht Ruprecht asks children whether they can pray. If they can, they receive apples, nuts, and gingerbread. If they cannot, he hits the children with his bag of ashes. Oh, well, there you go. <laughs> um, wouldn't it be more productive to just teach them how to pray if it means that much to them?
1: Yeah, it would, but. But what's the
0: fun in that? Where's the fun? When, when in you that? could hit children with ashes. Yeah. You know, there's a lot here that seems like it is directly designed to fuck up kids. Yeah. It's really kind of disturbing. Mm. And, you know, we look at Christmas as a children's holiday, largely a children's holiday. Right. But this is what they're taught to believe. We're not really. Be- I don't know if they really are taught to believe it or if. They understand that these are just stories, right. but come on, they're kind of dark stories yeah, for they kids. Are. Mm-hmm. Um, oh, definitely. And speaking of dark stories, let's talk about Hans Trap. Hans Trap is basically the anti-Santa, all right? His tradition can be traced to the French-German border region of Alsace-Lorraine, and legend tells how Trap began as a wealthy man, but greedy and evil to boot. He was so rotten that he was excommunicated by the Catholic Church and sold his soul to Satan. Now beyond redemption, Trap was exiled to the forest, but still his evil was felt. Disguising himself as a scarecrow by stuffing straw into his clothing, he began to prey on children. One day, or so the legend says, Hans Trap was about to eat a small boy that he had captured when God... That up with his evil doing, killed him with a bolt of lightning. However, this was not the end of Hans' trap. He continued to roam the earth dressed as a scarecrow, almost has a jack o' lantern yeah. feel to it. I feel like there were elements
1: but that were worse. Uh, uh, yeah,
0: way, I'm way worse. I'm just
1: like, I don't know, man. It just sounds like that one German serial killer, and I'm like, yeah.
0: So Hans' trap is one of many concocted incarnations of what we would call Santa's helpers. He is trying to earn his redemption, like when celebrities get sentenced to doing anti drug rallies in high schools and shit. You know, it's basically the same thing. (laughs) St. Nicholas awards um, presents to good children, while Hans Trapp does what he can to persuade naughty children to mend their mischievous ways so they won't be like him. You know, that's the whole you know, let's let's send the celebrity to the dare rally thing. Yeah. That seems to be his entire thing is he's this odd and probably unwilling voice of the side of good. Yeah. is what it sounds like. But uh, the only way that he can free himself from this tortured existence that he has is to follow Santa around and tell children to be good. Yes. That's pretty much it. Then there's Le Père Foutard, Le Père Fittard is a French-Belgium Christmas boogeyman with one foot in history and the other in the pagan past. Like Krampus, he is linked to the purifying, punishing aspect of whipping, hence his name Father Whipper, and that's what it means. Dressed in dark robes with a sooty face and unkempt hair and beard, children can hear him coming from the sound of the slapping of his whip. Le Père does not work alone. He also follows St. Nicholas from house to house, acting as his punisher, dispensing coal and beatings to the naughty. His original pagan context is lost, so instead he's given shape by other various historical legends and events. Wow. Uh, the most popular story of Le Père Fittard dates from around 1150 CE. In this tale, Le Père was either an innkeeper or butcher with particularly evil habits, One day, he and his wife captured three boys on their way to a religious boarding school. They robbed the boys of their money and then disposed of them most gruesomely, slitting their throats, cutting them up, and stewing them. This is such great Christmas content, I gotta tell ya. So St. Nicholas hears about this crime, and what does he do? Well, he resurrects the children, so there's kind of a happy ending here. On seeing the miracle, the evil innkeeper repents, and, and then he... As legend has it, he either volunteered to help St. Nicholas's penance, or else was forced by the saint to assist him every Christmas, punishing the bad while the saint rewarded the good. Other more historically verifiable events explain Lepere's dirty face. In 1552, the northeastern French city of Metz was under siege by the forces of Charles V, the Spanish King, and the Holy Roman Emperor. The anger of the citizens led them to make a likeness of the emperor and drag it through the city streets and burn it. At the same time, the Tanners of Metz had created a grotesque character who punishes children. The two separate effigies somehow married themselves together in the popular mind and became incorporated into the role of Le Père Fittard. So now that they've listened to me drone on for a little (laughs) while about some of this craziness, you've got a couple things you Mm -hmm. want to talk about. We're going to kind of switch it up a little bit. So I decided, well, why the hell not? Let's let Shell talk about the spider. So what have you got for us on that?
1: Well, the uh, spider legend comes from Ukraine, where they decorate their Christmas trees with spiders and little webs, like fake webs.
0: I can get behind that.
1: Yeah. The legend of the Christmas spider explains that a poor widow and her kids Cultivated a Christmas tree from a pine cone, but they couldn't afford any decorations. Then on Christmas morning, they woke up to see their tree blanketed in cobwebs, which sunlight transformed into gold and silver. That's kind of
0: neat. You see, yeah, that's not creepy, that's, that's, that's kind of heartwarming.
1: Nowadays, trees across Ukraine are decorated with little spider ornaments called pavuchki and fake spider webs, which is said to be the origin of the sparkly tinsel that shimmers at Christmas time all around the world. In Ukraine, spiders are also considered to bring good luck for the coming year.
0: So the one positive story that we have tonight revolves around a spider.
1: Yes, I thought you would enjoy that.
0: I did, as a matter of fact. I came across that in my research too, but I figured let's let you tell that one.
1: Yeah, it's cute.
0: Next on the list is Frau Perkta. Frau Perkta is a witch who comes to see who has been naughty or nice. Oh, this is so Christmassy. It's so Christmassy. She slits the bellies of bad children and stuffs their corpses with straw. It's sort of like Santa bringing coal, but with
1: disembowelment instead. Wow, that's so festive. Isn't it
0: just? (laughs) Then there's the Calakadzari. The Calakadzari are goblins who spend most of the year underground trying to bring about the apocalypse. During Advent, they come out into human territory to cause mischief and evil. They are sometimes described as black furry creatures with tusks and horns. And they are usually male and grotesquely well-endowed.
1: Well, okay then. That,
0: those are the words of one of the sources that I went to. And mm. I'm wishing that I didn't have a picture of this in my head right now.
1: <laughs>
0: because... It's not pretty. It's not good. No.
1: <laughs> now, where is that from? Calacansari.
0: This is actually one of the traditions that comes from my own heritage. It's Greek. Yes. So, I'm very Greek. I mean, you you listen to a word like Calacansari, what else could it possibly be? Really? Then there's the La fauna Despite the classic long, hooked nose, warty skin, and soot-covered appearance, La Bafana is Italy's much-beloved witch who flies on her broom on Epiphany Eve, that is the night of January 5th, which is still, if you listen to the Catholics, it's still the Christmas season, Yes. slipping candy into the stockings of good children and leaving coal or a stick to naughty ones. According to the legend, when the wise men were on their journey to find the baby Jesus, they invited this industrious old woman to join them. She declined because she felt she had too much house cleaning to do yet shortly regretted her decision and set off to find them, visiting children along the way. Like St. Nicholas, it's common to leave treats out for La Bufana, although she prefers cookies and a small glass of wine. Of course. She's my kind of witch. Yeah. Um, and there's, I mean, there's just, there's so much more. Yes, there's there so is. much more here. But before I am on more, I want you to talk about the Icelandic ones. So yeah. uh, let's, uh, let's talk about the Yule Lads and the Yule Cat and all that happiness. Yes.
1: The Yule Lads. Icelandic kids don't just get one Santa Claus. They get 13 mischievous trolls roaming the country in the fortnight before Christmas. Like Snow White's seven dwarves, each of the 13 Jola Yule Lads has his own personality, including doorway sniffer, spoon licker, sausage swiper, candle stealer, curd gobbler, and the ominously named window peeper. Each takes turns visiting children who leave their shoes in the bedroom window, dropping off presents for the good kids, and rotting potatoes for the bad kids. Sounds lovely. And they come each night during the 13 days before Christmas to visit.
0: Now that's that's kind of it. It's odd.
1: It's odd, but
0: not really. Uh, not really sinister.
1: No, no. There's like a whole family with these Christmas traditions too, because the Yule Lads are the kids of like a pair of giants. Okay. So these are their children. So it just keeps Yol expanding cat,
0: outward and outward.
1: I know, and their Yule Cat and the Yule Cat is their pet. Okay. And of course, since it's a cat, I had to include it. Meow. The Yule Cat. He's a huge and vicious cat roaming the countryside. And when he comes across someone without new clothes at Christmas time, he eats them. Well, that's awesome. And it's kind of weird. According to Wikipedia, though referred to as an ancient tradition, written accounts of the Yule Cat have only been located as recently as the 19th century the threat of being eaten by the Yule cat was used by farmers as an incentive for their workers to finish processing the autumn wool before Christmas. The ones who took part in the work would be rewarded with new clothes, but those who did not would get nothing and thus would be preyed upon by the monstrous cat. The cat has alternatively been described as merely eating away the food of ones without new clothing during Christmas feasts.
0: So they kind of watered it down just a little bit. Yeah, just a
1: little, because it's like, the thought of being eaten by a huge and monstrous cat is not exactly merry.
0: No, it really (laughs) isn't. But now you posted something on this one a couple of weeks ago, and I had kind of a what the fuck moment. (laughs) But uh, talk to us about, is it Mary Lude?
1: Mary Lude. Okay. It is Mary Lude. From what I know about Welsh language... Every letter is pronounced, but they might not make the sounds you're expecting. Right. Yeah. So this tradition is from Wales, and the earliest known mention is from the 18th century. The name Marylud means grey mare and is part of a wassailing tradition from Christmas to Twelfth Night. The Marylud consists of a horse's skull on a stick with colorful ribbons for mane and glass eyes, and a sheet for the performer to hide under as they go from house to house. Mary Lude is accompanied by several other characters, such as a leader and Punch and Judy, traditionally all played by men. Okay. The men would carry the Mary Lude to local houses where they would request entry through the medium of song. The householders would be expected to deny them entry again through song, and the two sides would continue their responses to one another in this manner. If the householders eventually relented, then the team would be permitted entry and given food and drink. This exchange was often punctuated by rude rhymes and silly excuses for why Mary Lude could not come inside. This exchange was known as Ponko. It would often start with a request by Mary Loude to come into the house, but the replies would often be insulting. Eventually the household would relent and invite Mary Lude inside for food and drink. The horse would run around and generally make a ruckus, and when alcoholic beverages were provided, you can imagine what these guys were like by the end of the night.
0: Oh, I'm sure, but it sounds like fun. It does sound it's like, like fun. You go it's like a door to door rap battle.
1: It is. It's like you just have a rap battle with a ghostly horse. Yeah. And I mean,
0: it does actually sound like fun. If someone showed up at my door as Mary Loude, I'd play. Oh yeah, I totally play.
1: Oh yeah, some people like spend a lot of time coming up with rhymes because you got to answer in a song, right. basically rhyming. Mm-hmm. Um, and a lot of uh, a lot of different villages in Wales have their own horse skull that they use.
0: So. There's one more here. I'm having a hard time just wrapping my tongue around it, so... Yeah, I'm since not Since you exactly. researched it, maybe you have a better idea of how to pronounce
1: this. Not really. It's, it's from the region of Catalan in Spain, so it's probably a dialect. This is a section on the Caganer and Cagatillo. Okay. These are two traditions from the region of Catalan in Spain. First, the Caganer, a Christmas statue that is often included in nativity scenes. He is usually far from Mary and Joseph and the manger. Located in a quiet corner, he's depicted as a peasant wearing the traditional red cap, and he's also in the process of pooping. Okay, then. The name El Caganer literally means the pooper. The Caganer is a particularly and highly popular feature of modern Catalan nativity scenes, which often depicts the entire town of Bethlehem. It is believed to have entered the nativity scene by the late 17th or early 18th century during the Baroque period. These days, often the Kaganer is in the likeness of a celebrity or a politician. Why the pooper? The Kaganer, by creating feces, is fertilizing the earth. According to the ethnographer Joan Amadis, it was a customary figure in nativity scenes in the 19th century because people believed that this deposit symbolically fertilized the ground of the nativity scenes, which became fertile and ensured the nativity scene for the following year, and with it the health of body and peace of mind required to make the nativity scene with the joy and happiness bought by Christmas near the hearth. Placing this figurine in the nativity scene brought good luck and joy, and not doing so brought adversity.
0: I really think they're overthinking some kid taking a shit in a corner.
1: Yeah, it is kind of weird. It's very There's a weird. lot of scatological type of traditions in Catalan. That's, and these yeah. are just two. You know, so, I, I've
0: heard this. It's I didn't know so that they were strange. all from basically the same place.
1: Yeah, these two are from the same place. It's okay. very strange. The Cagatillo is a log that has a face drawn on it and like little legs holding it up in the front. And he has a blanket over what would be its backside. The children will feed it for several weeks with, like, fruit and nuts and stuff. Okay. And the log is entreated to defecate on Christmas Eve and magically produces candy and presents for the children, which will appear under the blanket over the backside.
0: So it shits presents.
1: Yes. And the children hit the log with sticks if it doesn't give enough. When it is done, it will give a clove of garlic or sardines, and then it is thrown in the fire. There's even a song that goes along with this tradition. Does
0: there have to be, though?
1: Hey, man, it's their tradition. But yes, this is some of the lyrics. Cool. Some? These are some. some. There are more than one verse. There are more than one verse, but I figured I'd have mercy on you.
0: Yeah, pinch it off after one verse.
1: <laughs> poop log, poop nougats, hazelnuts, and motto cheese. If you don't poop well, I'll hit you with a stick. Poop log. <laughs>
0: It's just I, so I have strange. nothing else to say here. It's okay. so
1: strange, but there is a it lot. It probably
0: makes more sense in Spanish, or at least sounds better in it Spanish. It might
1: sound better in Spanish. It is kind of a weird song.
0: Okay. I'm casting my vote for craziest thing that I've heard yet tonight <laughs> with this. Yeah. A log that shits presents yes. after being fed a diet of fruit and nuts for several weeks. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> All right. You know, I've I've heard Stranger Things. I can't think of any just now, but I've certainly heard Stranger Things. And speaking of Stranger Things, let's take a look at just a few more. I found a couple of websites that had a bunch of, whether they are popular or just weird-ass traditions that center around Christmas. And all of them, just like the ones that we've already gone through, completely Jesus-free. But a lot of the same ones show up in yeah. multiple sources. I mean, oh, yeah. a lot of the ones that we have already talked about get a little one paragraph treatment in this list too. It's in the show notes, but I just thought that it would be fun to uh, to go through some of these and just how odd, very, very odd they are. Like this one from Estonia. There is a tradition in Estonia for the entire family to sit in the sauna together on uh, Christmas yeah. Eve before going to church. Why? I mean, there, there's really no context for that, just that it's a thing that they do. Yeah. And that probably is the beginning and end of the explanation for it. Yeah. Then you've got... and Now, I feel like I'd heard of this one. It was kind of a memory jogger, but still very, very odd. Have you ever heard of this hide the pickle thing?
1: Yeah. Okay. Yeah, only from the lists, though. I've never heard of it otherwise.
0: Oh, okay. So I'm not alone. No, you're okay. not. It says that it's not uncommon in the U.S. for families to hide a pickle in their Christmas tree. I have never known anyone, unless they just didn't tell me it was there. I know of no one who has ever participated in this particular one. It's believed that the tradition came from Germany, but as far as anyone can actually tell or trace it back, it really didn't. So (laughs) this probably is some asinine American thing.
1: Yeah, probably. It, It
0: probably is. And apparently, it's not a tradition anywhere else. This is not something that's known outside the United States. Weird. So they hide a pickle. In the morning, children search for the pickle. And the child that finds the pickle receives a special gift because why the hell not? Oh, God, this one. This is so nasty. In Greenland, they have this delicacy called kiviak.
1: Oh. You're
0: wincing. You know what I'm talking about? I've
1: heard it before. I don't remember what it is.
0: Well, you're about to find out. Oh, good. Okay. It's basically the body of a seal stuffed with the carcasses of around 400 very small cute birds called ox.
1: Oh, God.
0: Now, this whole thing is then left out for anywhere from three to 18 months Some of these people are serious. They start this a year and a half in advance. They have to squeeze all the air out of the carcass of the seal. Mm. And the look on your face is priceless. I just got to say, this is one of those instances where I wish that we were a video podcast. Okay. (laughs) So they squeeze the air out of the carcass and then the body is coated with actual seal grease to prevent the whole thing from rotting. The ox proceed to ferment. And when the seal is finally open around Christmas time, they eat them raw. Ugh. And, you know, nothing says Christmas like 18 month old fermented birds I just... that come out of a seal carcass.
1: Who <laughs> thinks of
0: this? <laughs>
1: who, who thinks this stuff? Who, who
0: thinks about this and even thinks that it's a good idea, yeah. let alone get other people to go along with it?
1: It doesn't sound like a good idea.
0: I have to think that things must be very, very, very boring in Greenland for <laughs> something like this to ever catch on. Yeah. I mean, it's like, what the hell else do you have to do? You know, you're you're out there, it's the middle of summer. It's like, oh, let's go check on the kiviak. Yeah. Oh, yeah, it's fermenting nicely. Yeah, we, we might want to uh, coat it with a little bit more of that seal grease. It's looking a little uh, gangrene over here. Oh. Yeah, that's nasty. And the picture that they chose, the stock image they chose to go along with this one is, in my opinion, perfect. So yeah, um, here's another um, very, very weird one from the Czech Republic. You want to know if you're going to get married in the upcoming year? (laughs) Well, on Christmas Day, just take a shoe, throw it over your shoulder. And Mm -hmm. if the shoe points at the door, then it means you're going to get married that year. If it doesn't, well, then you're still waiting for your love to come along, evidently. Mm. Then there's the Guatemalan tradition of burning the devil in effigy. Every December 7th, Guatemalans take part in a ritual or festival or whatever you want to call it called La Quima del Diablo or the burning of the devil, where families will gather outside their homes and burn literal flaming effigies of the devil as basically a cleansing ritual. Oh, this one, oh my goodness. Uh, yeah, just prepare yourselves, people. This one's kind of, I mean, seriously, murdering grandmas. Uh, this is the naughty ghost boy story that comes from South Africa. So just like in the United States, South African families have the tradition of leaving cookies out for Santa. Um But apparently the kids in South Africa just have a little bit less self-control. They keep eating them before Santa has a chance to have a go at them. So a more recent tradition in South Africa is to uh, basically perpetuate this urban legend. That's mostly what it is, is an urban legend of a boy named Danny who tried to eat Santa's cookies. He was caught by his grandmother, so grandma does the most logical thing that a person would do in a situation like this. Um, She kills him, and it's some of these are so extreme. Yeah, now Danny's ghost haunts the homes of naughty children at Christmas time. So this one, you know, we're talking about how. Christmas is the Halloween after Halloween. So, if that's the case, then why not just bring some werewolves into the mix? Why not? Because you know they're not just for Halloween anymore. <laughs> it was believed in Europe that if you were born on Christmas Day, you were much more likely to be a werewolf. Hmm. And this that they say it probably dates back to uh, certain pagan traditions where it was believed that monsters came out more often around. You know the major Sabbats like Samhain, like the Winter Solstice. So I guess werewolves are kind of a Winter Solstice sort of thing Mm. in certain traditions, and that's where that comes from. Oh, back to South Africa for a sec. Uh, Forget Turkey in South Africa. Many people enjoyed the deep fried caterpillars (laughs) of the emperor moth on Christmas Day. You know, in America, we're one of the few cultures in the world that. Kind of goes Ugh, when you think about eating bugs. I mean, yeah. they're they're eaten all over the world. Great sources of protein and all of that. So while it's an odd tradition, it's one that I would probably try at least once. Yeah, no, there there is that. Here's an interesting one right here in Scandinavia. Instead of Santa Claus, children actually wait for the Joltomt, who is basically described. A lot like salmon jovial, jolly just delivering gifts to children at their homes. Families traditionally leave out a bowl of porridge with butter because you need butter with your porridge as a gift to him. but this is another one of those watered down kind of uh, <laughs> kind of legends because the origin is um, it, it's a lot more sinister. It comes from the legend of the Tomt or the niece. These were sprites that took on the form of little old men the size of small children, and they were basically supposed to be protectors of the home. And the only payment that they asked for was a bowl of porridge with butter. And if they got it, everything was great. But if they didn't, it was said that they would go out to the barn and kill one of your cows. Well, so that's this is not good. It's, it's kind of an agricultural better watch out Christmas yeah. kind of story. Now, in Portugal, I li- I actually like this one. This isn't creepy. It's, it kind of has a Day of the Dead kind of feel to it. Right. In Portugal, the Christmas morning feast is called Consoda. It's a lot like Christmas meals elsewhere in the world. But the one difference with this is that in Portuguese homes, they set places for the souls of the dead, just like there are empty places at the table for a Day of the Dead. And they will leave places and even make plates for their departed loved ones. This is basically the same thing. Right. has the same basic purpose to it. Oh, and those lovable little elves that you hear about uh, being Santa's helpers, they're hard at work all year long in the North Pole making toys for children. Well, guess what? In some Germanic traditions, the elves were depicted as being more mischievous. Yeah, They were tricksters that were... Every bit as likely to cause havoc as they were to do anything good like make or leave toys. (laughs) And since we were talking about the debaucherous aspect of some of the Krampus traditions out there, Mm. well, apparently Santa doesn't need Krampus for a little debauchery of his own. For years in New York City, there's been this thing called SantaCon, which is an infamous pub crawl that has actually now spread to a lot of different places. It originated in New York City, and now these things happen everywhere. So what exactly is SantaCon? Basically, it involves a bunch of drunk idiots dressing up like Santa and running around the city. Yeah, wreaking havoc. Yeah, wreaking all kinds of havoc, descending on like every bar they pass. There's a lot of that going on. And there are people that don't like it because it spoils the illusion of what santa is for kids which you know i can sort of kind of get behind but i can also get behind adults having a little adult fun once in a while too yeah. and this i mean it may seem a little obnoxious but it's mostly harmless and i mean when was the last time that you heard about trouble at the santa con you know yeah. you, these aren't these aren't things that uh, that make the news And as if SantaCon wasn't enough, Philadelphia has its own version of this that they call the running of the Santas. And (laughs) just like SantaCon, it involves thousands of people dressed up like Santa getting together, getting pissed up drunk,
1: and just
0: wreaking havoc across the entire city. But here's the thing. The running of the Santas at least has the virtue of being a fundraiser. And they raise money for local charities by doing this. So I feel like there are worse ways to raise money for a charity yeah. than something along the lines of a Santacon. Oh, so let's talk just for a sec about uh, the abominable snowman. You know, before <laughs> the whole Rudolph the Red-Nosed Reindeer Christmas special, there really wasn't any kind of tradition around the abominable snowman that right. had anything to do with Christmas. He got tied to Christmas because of that. So Of course, the Abominable Snowman is another iteration of the Yeti or Bigfoot myth. Um, He's described as a monstrous half-man, half-bear type of creature whose origin story comes from the Himalayas. And there are people who actually, just like Bigfoot, believe that he's out there, that he's been out there for a long, long time. I don't know how long these people think these creatures are supposed to live, (laughs) but there are people out there who definitely believe in the Abominable Snowman. I think I'm going to end off with this one on this list. The giant flaming goat. (laughs) You know, you heard me right. You heard me right. In Govel, I guess, Govel, 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 Sweden, you know, uh, my pronunciation, I'm just giving up on the whole damn thing tonight. But every Christmas, the people in this town in Sweden erect a giant statue, a giant straw statue of a goat. So kind of a wicker man sort of feel going on here, but much, much, much more contemporary because this only dates back to 1966. Yeah. Um, And it came about because the local government wanted to create this whimsical, fun, new Christmas tradition. But there was a problem for the first year of this. They picked a very flammable building material. So... uh, so, yeah, the straw is going to go up pretty damn quick, people. And, you know, in other news, water is wet and fire is hot.
1: Speaking <clears throat> of fire.
0: Yeah, speaking <laughs> of. So now there's this tradition in this town where people actually try to burn down the goat. <laughs> they don't succeed every single time. But for 35 out of the last 50 years, the townspeople have celebrated Christmas with this gigantic flaming goat, you're trying so hard to hold it together.
1: It's just funny.
0: It's hilarious. I mean it's I'm just, just thinking so about what it must be like. you know you, you're on your morning commute and yeah. for a few weeks before Christmas you not only have to drive by this big ass goat goat, but you know you're you're actually watching your neighbors trying to set it on fire. So I guess the point here is that over time, they've learned how to make it just a little bit more flame retardant. And so it's now the challenge to burn down the goat. Yes. So, you know, I've heard of worse things. I've heard of Stranger Things. Uh, I've heard of Stranger Things just tonight doing this episode. And there's, I mean, there are so many. And I, again, I got another list for you that's linked out in the show notes. But how about the tradition in Japan? Mm. Where Christmas isn't really even a thing per se. No, but there is now a tradition in Japan that revolves around having KFC yeah for Christmas dinner or well Christmas Eve dinner, and this goes back a long way. I had no idea. I didn't how either. long ago this started, but I was just I, I was I was little. It was nineteen seventy four. And KFC, at that point, still calling itself Kentucky Fried Chicken, had gone on this festive marketing campaign in Japan, and the the slogan "Kentucky for Christmas" really <laughs> caught on, and it's been a national tradition ever since. And uh, no, Christmas is not a national holiday in Japan, but this is you know the beginning and end of what it means for a lot of people in Japan. Yeah, is okay. It's now what they tell us is Christmas Eve, let's head to KFC. I wouldn't want to be a worker oh my at gosh. a KFC in Japan on Christmas Eve. I would need therapy by the time it was done. <laughs> now, this one I had heard about when I was a kid only because I had family that briefly lived in the Netherlands And they did a decent job of kind of assimilating into the local traditions, Mm -hmm. mostly because they had young children. And these were the things that the kids looked forward to there. So Mm -hmm. I learned this whole tradition about leaving shoes by the fireplace. Mm -hmm. And as the story goes, you can do this for several days, heading up to Christmas. It's not just a Christmas night thing. But it also involves leaving something out, not for Santa, but for his horse. Yeah. you leave carrots or something along the, the line of you know vegetables or something in your shoe. and you put the shoe out by the fireplace, Santa takes the food for his horse and leaves a little gift or a yeah. couple little gifts in the shoes. And that's and that's, again, not creepy, just cute. And I am going to end off this part of the conversation talking about Sweden's Yule Goat. And this goes back. This is one of the older traditions that we've covered tonight. The Yule Goat dates back to at least the 11th century and probably earlier, where there are mentions of a man-sized goat figure led by St. Nicholas, who had the power to control the devil. So in Scandinavia and Sweden, uh, they're not burning down the goat. <laughs> no, they're they're kind of venerating the goat, ah. but the image of the Yule goat has changed quite a bit throughout history. For instance, in the 17th century, it became popular for young men to dress up as the goat and then just run around town pulling pranks. Yeah. So I mean, I, you see the the merging of Halloween and Christmas yeah. yet again. Crazy. Um But by the 19th century, again. They watered it down and toned it back a little bit. The goat actually became a good guy and also another traditional giver of gifts around this time of year. But today, in terms of what you're going to see in 2021, the man goat is no longer, and the yule goat has taken its place. And you'll see in in a lot of Scandinavian homes, particularly in Sweden, there are ornaments, goat ornaments that commemorate this. But in larger cities, you still see massive goat statues that crop up around this time of year. And they're basically big versions of these ornaments that people create out of predominantly straw and red ribbon. Yeah. So just a, another cute little innocuous one Before we get into what I consider to be kind of the most toxic yeah. of the Christmas traditions out there. We're going to talk just for a few minutes, and I don't want to leave this on a real heavy note but we're gonna talk for just a couple of minutes about Black Peter or Zwarte Piet. This is a tradition that also originated in the Netherlands, and it was one of the first depictions of Saint Nick, or as they call him, Sinterklaas, having an actual servant and, well, he was black. At least he had black face, which Mm. is, you know, in 2021, it's actually far worse than him just being black. And here's uh, just a little something from the Wikipedia on Black Peter. According to a long-standing theory first proposed by Karl Meisen, the Swart Piet and his equivalents in Germanic Europe were originally presented as one or more enslaved demons forced to assist their captor. So there are a few traditions that have, you know, basically the unwilling servant or helper right. that go along with Saint Nicholas or Santa Claus. These chained and fire-scorched demons may have been redeveloped as black-skinned humans during the early 19th century in the Netherlands, in the likeness of Moors who work as servants for St. Nicholas. Others believe Zwartpiet to be a continuation of a custom in which people with blackface appeared in winter solstice rituals. So let me just go right on record and say that just because it's pagan doesn't make it okay. Mm-hmm. There are elements to this that may or may not have been racist in origin, but the connotations have changed quite a bit over time. Black Peter and Sinterklaas both had more menacing personae at their inception, both being benevolent to good-mannered children and antagonistic to ill-mannered ones. In fact, some traditions have Black Peter doing a lot of the same things that are associated with Krampus, particularly beating naughty children with reeds. But the racist aspect of this just can't be denied. In 1850, the Amsterdam-based primary school teacher Jan Schenkman published the book St. Nicholas and Zenecht, which translates to St. Nicholas and his servant. It's widely considered the first time a servant character was included in a printed version of the St. Nicholas narrative. The servant is depicted as a page who appears as a dark-skinned person wearing clothes associated with Moors. So, translation, if Santa was going to have a servant, then it made sense that he would be black. So, not terrifying, gross or humorous, just plain racist. But right now, and this has been an ongoing thing for a while, at least at least a decade, the Netherlands or certain people in the Netherlands have been trying to phase out the tradition of Black Peter. There's a long-standing tradition of portraying Santa Claus as having an entourage of white helpers in blackface, known as his swart pietin or Black Peets. So mm. in certain traditions, there's more than one. They are pre-Victorian era caricatures complete with over-accentuated lips and afros. For a long time, this has just been tolerated because it's quote-unquote tradition. But many are beginning to see that this is an image whose time is up. There's a great article from Time Magazine about this that I'm not going to delve into in depth, But suffice it to say that it showcases quite well the difference between how white people see certain things versus how black and really any non-Caucasian person sees them. The subtle way they sneak the racist thoughts in there, it's sinister. It's very sinister. And it is not just an American thing, as we're finding out. Fortunately, there is a movement in the Netherlands that seeks to, as the name identifies, kick out Swart Piet. The article that I found on this was from 2019, but I did a little bit of digging and found out that this is an ongoing movement that goes back about a decade already. Right. So they're making slow progress on this. It's a tradition that they cling to pretty heavily. But you know, a lot of people are starting to understand that it's one of those traditions that really just needs to take a backseat at this point. Yeah. And there are different versions of his story because I've also heard stories about Black Peter being the one that whips the children with reeds. Mm. You know, they he puts a bag over them and beats them with a stick or something along those lines if they've been naughty. So right. more along the lines of Krampus's role. Right. But in more recent traditions, he's kind of been, or he's been like, um, the best way that I can think of to describe this is he's part of a band of blackface clowns. They're bumbling buffoons that run around in blackface, and you know what's more socially acceptable in twenty twenty one than that? <laughs> I mean, seriously. So you know, not to put a dark cloud over the stuff that we're talking about tonight, it's just one of those things. And I, le- I saved it for the end just for the purpose of making the point that just because it's tradition doesn't mean that it needs to be part of the equation anymore. Right. We're kind of in wind down mode here. And traditionally, I add some kind of final thought to what we're talking about at the end just to sum things up and give you some kind of valuable takeaway. This week, I think that the message here is about the same as last week. Don't take things that have any kind of religious tie-in too seriously. Christmas as a celebration was a thing long before there was a Christ to tag onto it. Because a lot of these traditions are more in line with winter solstice than they are with quote-unquote Christmas. A lot of these things really predate anything called Christmas. It's just that Christmas is a term that has permeated so many cultures now that we look at these things as quote-unquote Christmas traditions, but they're all Quite pagan in origin, the vast majority of them are anyway. The traditions that encompass this time of year are not now, nor have they ever really been about peace on earth and goodwill toward men. In fact, some of it steers directly into the realm of child abuse. When you think about it, uh, yeah. Um, I do find it interesting how many of these traditions have better watch out qualities about them. Mm-hmm. You know, warnings about living upright lives and behaving ourselves if we don't want to get thrashed with reeds, devoured by goat demons, or succumb to grandma's murderous tendencies over things like missing cookies. It's all marvelously over the top and actually meshes well with the God loves you, but if you don't accept Jesus, he'll fry your face off message of the gospel of grace. It also impresses on me how people use specific times of year, particularly Halloween and Christmas, as excuses to either celebrate or misbehave in various ways. When I think about things like Krampus Runs and SantaCon, I also think about the debaucheries associated with Halloween, and even in the States... Things like St. Patrick's Day and the excuses we come up with for amping up the revelry at various times of year, St. Patrick's Day, Cinco de Mayo, you name it, you know, stuff that has absolutely nothing to do with us or the things that we choose to associate with it. It's basically the same thing here. But the thing that really impressed upon me researching all of this is just how little attention the Christ child actually gets at this time of year around the world In Japan, Christmas is an excuse to snarf some KFC, and I'm guessing that that's most of what they know or understand about it. And where is Jesus in the sea of Santas carousing the streets and tainting children's idyllic view of Santa Claus? The answer is simple, he's part of a specific culture that focuses on him at this time of year. Just like Krampus, the Bell's Nickel, Han's Trap, and all the rest, they have their own cultures that focus on them. In America, we're bombarded by Jesus, 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 with a liberal smattering of traditions that have a lot more to do with pagan traditions tied to winter than they have to do with Christianity. Spend Christmas in other parts of the world and it's like Jesus who? Which to me is all for the better. And just so I can punch it at the end, because Lord knows I cannot figure out a way to end an episode any other way, broadening our horizons and learning about how other people view and approach things like Christmas makes us, in my opinion, more well-rounded. It makes us smarter, and it has the ability to make us laugh, gasp, or cringe, depending on the tradition. But most of all, it helps us see just how small a player Jesus really is in most cultures at this time of year. And the smaller he becomes in our experience of things, the easier it is to get and stay unbound. enjoyed this episode of Unbound? Show topics are chosen based on their timeliness, relevance, and social impact. Have suggestions for future topics? Email us at unbound.podcast.network at gmail.com with all your comments and feedback. Please don't forget to like, share, and throw a few five-star ratings our way and follow us on all major social platforms. And don't forget to hit subscribe if you haven't already. Links to our social pages, as well as a full list of cited sources in today's episode, are listed in the show notes, available at our website, getunbound.org. That's get-unbound.org. If you value this resource and would like to see it continue, please consider supporting us on Patreon at the link in the show description. And be sure to check for new updates every Sunday when we'll come together again and take one more step toward getting and staying unbound.